So I uh, trust that everybody had a good Thanksgiving. Now we're in this beautiful season of Advent. And Advent just means, um, uh, it comes from a, a Latin advenire, actually, which means just the coming, the arrival. And we start in December, the first Sunday of Advent, uh, just our anticipation of our uh, celebration of, of Jesus, our King, and we'll talk a lot more about that today. But I wanted to, uh, in this beautiful time, uh, in this beautiful season, I want to just uh, really be honest about the fact that, you know, like a Black Friday scramble at Target, life is messy. It's just plain messy. In small ways and in big ways, life is just messy. It's, it's difficult. I mean, I always marvel at the fact that you can, you know, put those Christmas decorations away just so. You know, you wind up those lights just right and everything. And then now you're probably, maybe you did it already, but you pull out the box of decorations and it's just like a complete tangle, those wires and cords. It's like, what is it that's just making those things just prone to a mess? Or if you have small children, you know that like there's just some kind of gravity in the house that pulls everything out of the closets and everything out of the cupboards and puts them on your kitchen counter. Am I right? I mean, it's just constant maintenance to maintain this house if you have small kids. If you're an empty nester, you know, maybe not so much, maybe not like it used to be, but I know for me, it's very messy. And by saying life is messy, I'm also saying life is messed up. It's just messed up. So like, I read a study the other day that said, we human creatures, we survivors, are hardwired to find the most calorically dense food, right, in the, in the, in the, uh, and, and to expend as little energy as possible to get it, and to just consume as much of that as we can, just in case there's a crisis. All right, so we don't have so much of a crisis, and there's eggnog and Christmas cookies you know, abound, and I'm much more inclined to, you know, wash down four or five Christmas cookies and a, you know, glass or two of eggnog than I am to have, like, a handful of raw carrots and a spritzer, you know what I mean? It's just, and, like, why is that? That's just messed up. Like, man, really? I mean, how hard is it when you sit down all day for a living? We're not hunting and gathering anymore, most of us, and it's just messed up that that's just the kind of the truth. There's a gravity to life being a little messy and messed up. Is that clear? So, but oh, if the calories and the clutter were the worst of it. We know that that's not the worst of it, is it? Hey, honey, um, we have to move. I lost my job today. Hey, dad, I wrecked the car. I, I, I'm not that dad yet, but I was that kid. Hey, dad, I wrecked the car. Uh-oh. Hey, dad, I'm pregnant. Uh, the oncology report. We'll get back to you on that. So how long do you have to wait? I don't know. I know that story is in our church. Got to wait. Got to wait. Oh, it's not good. I mean, two years ago, I was on top of the world, and now the investment didn't pan out. The 401k's dried up. I'm not sure what we're going to do. We're going to be living on Social Security. I mean, it's messy. And when I'm in a mess, I don't know about you, but I feel very very alone. And it hurts. It really hurts. So you add on top of that Christmas jangles, Christmas cookies, um, 
like my kids, okay, when it was last, last Sunday, and I was, not last Sunday, sorry, a year ago, and how did I get those confused? So uh, a year, I must be a father with four little ones. Uh, a year ago, I was putting up the trees, and my kids came up with this Christmas jangle. I mean, it was just brilliant. I mean, it was just so culturally perfect. The tune was right on. Santa Claus, Christmas trees, presents, lights, and toys, candy cane, and chocolate. More, 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 more. And I'm like, who taught, where did you get that? And I went through, you know, Santa Claus, Christmas trees, candy lights, toys, candy canes. No, there's no, it's just fluff. It's poof. It's sweets. And when you're hurting, that ain't going to cut it. It's just not going to cut it. You go see a Christmas movie. Most every Christmas movie I've ever seen comes to answer this question. Why are we doing this? Why are we celebrating this holiday? You know, and then Clark Griswold waxes poetic, you know. Oh, the frost of a Christmas morn. You know, I, I see the Christmas star. Now I know what it means to me. You know, family, you know, these really vague sort of, that sounds nice, but there's no backbone. And it's maddening. It can be maddening. And if you're maddened because you're hurting or you're lonely or you're sorrowful or you're regretful, you just are Scrooge, you know? You're like, you're like the Grinch. Just get some Christmas spirit. You say that to someone who's facing a massive diagnosis, right? You say that to someone who's in uh, massive political turmoil. Their brothers and uh, friends are threatened by a, a world superpower. You live in a country that's just threatened by massive power. Or, or you're a poor little girl a poor little girl engaged to a good man and you find yourself pregnant and it's not his. And you're in this conservative religious community. How would that feel? No Christmas jangle, no Clark Griswold is going to make that feel better. And those last two situations are the situations we're going to read about in our scripture text this morning. You go ahead and... Uh, if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Matthew 18. If not, it's right up on the screen. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with the Holy Spirit, or sorry, to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to, to, to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet himself. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took Mary to be his wife, but he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This, um, the title of this Advent series is As It Was Foretold. What you see in the text there in all caps you've got a Bible, what you see in all caps is quoted from the Hebrew Scriptures. So we're going we're gonna to look at what was foretold. I'm going to go back 
735 years to be exact, this prophecy. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, who was a king in Judah, Ask for a sign from the Lord your God and make it as deep as Sheol or high as heaven. And Ahaz says, I will not ask, nor, I will, test, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, listen now, O house of David, is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Scripture tells us that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Would you pray with me? God, I feel very fortunate to have the opportunity to share your word this morning. Although I confess that I'm not sufficient for the task. God, please allow me uh, the grace of the Holy Spirit to speak clearly. Um, help uh, the Holy Spirit to speak to hearts and help me not to cause confusion. May your grace allow us to understand and respond to your word in us. Thank you for the beauty of coming together in the name of Jesus to spend this time in your word. May you be glorified in this church above all things. Amen. All right, we need Advent. So next slide, please. Yes, the best Christmas movie of all time. Does this seem right? Charlie is so depressed because, you know, Snoopy is decking out his house, lights and display contest. I mean, there's some great one-liners, one-liners in this uh, show. His little sister, you know, she's making out her Christmas list. And Santa, if you can't give me all the toys I want, just send money. How about 10s and 20s? And, uh, oh, I love it. You watch it again. It's fantastic. And Charlie's depressed because, like I said, Advent is this season of jangles and this season of cheer, and yet uh, Charlie is really searching. And so are we sometimes. So we know this other side, this cynicism, this sarcasm. Watch a South Park episode on Christmas. Here's some goofy Christmas tunes. And you know, it's just like, this is beyond cheesy. And I don't want to discount the fact, or the beauty really, of when your family is sort of gathered around. I mean, I know this for my mama, okay? I'm just thinking about my mama here. I don't want to blow my mom's... Uh, love of Christmas out of the water, but her love of Christmas is deep. She's a Christian. But I know for her, you know, staying up till two in the morning, wrapping presents and all that is worth it. It is worth it for five minutes of seeing the glow on the faces of all her family around the tree. Am I right? Like they're all together, they're sharing and they're happy. That's wonderful. And that is wonderful. But that's not what Advent is about. And if we don't grab hold of the root of what, is, what it is about, we are robbed of a Christmas without its real power, its backbone, its meaning that is strong enough to stand with us when we're hurting. It is strong enough to gather the family around. It is strong enough uh, to celebrate and worship and rejoice even when you're hurting. So anyway... Um, the fact is that life is messy and my relationships are messy and my finances are messy and my dreams are in shambles sometimes and no amount of Christmas spirit can fix this one, right, Clark Griswold? So what I'm saying is, is God has an answer for us. I'm making the case that God is in the mess. 
He is a sovereign, ruling king. And he's right here in the mess. For God to be with us, this word Emmanuel, because we're, we're in a messy situation. So it has to be that God is in the mess if it is true that he is with us. And I guess the burden of proof is on me today to, to, to make that case. So let's go back to the text. Emmanuel is, is a word. It's a, it's a Hebrew word. It means God with us. And we, though we read it in the Gospel of Matthew, it's here in uh, the, the book of Isaiah. So in 735, there was a war going on. And what's so great about the Bible is this is absolutely verifiable, you know, fact. There's what's called the Syro-Ephraimite War, 735. Look it up. So Israel, God's nation, had split into two. Assyria, in the, or um, sorry, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. Can we go ahead and go to the map? I debated whether or not to um, put, use a map for a sermon, but Joe Brehob said yes. And so I said, okay, Kind of, kind of a fuzzy, but you see that that's the, that's the Holy Land divided. Okay, purple, that's Judah, Israel, green, and they're two different nations. And then there's this orange nation um, up to the right, you see, north, uh, northeast of Israel called Aram. And then just to the right of Aram, the map wasn't big enough, is this superpower called Assyria. And so Israel was in this civil war, and the superpower was encroaching in. They're, they're pushing west. Those two countries you see, Israel and Aram, they said, we need an alliance to fight off these tough guys. This bully on the block, we need an alliance. And we need a protected southern flank. So they'd send word to Judah and say, hey, are you interested in joining this coalition against this superpower? And Ahaz says, the king of Judah, says, no, I'm not interested. Not going to do it. Do you know what Israel and Aram did? They said, fine, get ready for an attack. Their plan, uh, can you just imagine this is God's nation, the nation that God had, had chosen. Uh, they're, they're fighting against each other. Israel, allied with Aram, is set to attack Judah, kill the royal family, put up a puppet king that will acquiesce. Is that clear? And Ahaz is shaking in his boots. He is shaking in his boots. Can you go to the next slide, please? The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Have you ever been shaken in that way? I certainly have. Sorry, we're not going to renew your contract. Okay, no income. Sorry if you can't if you can't sign a lease, I've got to tell you to move out. Okay. Shaking in your boots. And that's what Ahaz is. He's shaking in his boots. And God says through the prophet Isaiah, he says, hey, I know you're shaking in your boots. Ask me to help you. Ask for a sign. Go, go, go ahead. And Ahaz, of course, says he sounds pious. He says, I'm not going to test God that way. I, I'm not going to do that. How, how could I presume Upon, upon God, I'm just not going to do that. Do you know why Ahaz would, not, Ahaz would not ask God for a sign? Because he took out his own insurance policy. You know what Ahaz did in all this mix up to protect himself? Do you know he, who he calls on the phone or the messenger pigeon or whatever they use? The pony boy? He called the very king of Assyria and said, hey, look, um, how about, how about, 
we pay you a whole lot of money and you defeat those two nations, my brothers in the north, just destroy them, go ahead and destroy that other king of Aram and, um, and we'll just, whatever you want, completely your terms, just protect me. That's what Ahaz did. He made an alliance when he was shaken in his boots. And I wonder, friends, in what ways do we make alliances when we are shaking in our boots? Fifteen, twenty-hour days. Got to get that savings account really, really high. Just got to do it. Had a compromise on the business deal. You know, I just change a zero here and a little, you know, false signature there, and I've got some extra cushion. You know, I don't want to talk to my wife about our sex life, so I'm just gonna take care of this myself. Go on the internet go to the shady part of the St. Louis. We do this. This is human nature. Life is messy and it's hard to face. Bottom line. In small ways and in big ways. Anyway, Ahaz was shaking in his boots. And so the, you know, the first point is God is in this mess of massive problems. This is a massive problem. God is in the mess of this massive problem because here is uh, Isaiah, the prophet, sent by God to say, Ahaz, God wants to help you. Ask him for a sign. And Ahaz does not know God. He does not know his goodness. He does not know his grace. So he's not going to call upon him. And that is just sad. He's shaking in his boots. And God says, fine. You won't ask for a sign. I'll tell you what, there will be a sign. There is one, there's a boy who's going to be born. A child is born. And his name will be Emmanuel, which is God is with us. I can't go into the story of Isaiah. I highly recommend you read it. Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah 8, Isaiah 9. It's all part of the same piece. You can also read uh, Kings, uh, 2 Kings 15, 16. You learn about this story, about the war, so forth. That's what's going on. Anyway, Isaiah has a couple more kids, and their, 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 their names mean something, and they're meant to encourage the nation and Ahaz that, hey, God is in this thing. You got to be willing to take the hit you got to be willing to take the hit and watch God come through for you. Because it's the right thing to do. And in our lives, are we willing? Are we willing to take the hit? And to watch God... Matthew, so that's the story of this massive problem. God is in the mess of massive problems. God is also in the mess of intimate problems. Matthew claims that this baby born into a mess, even among scandal, Mary is 16 years old. And being betrothed in that time is not like being casually engaged in our time. Notice the text calls Joseph her husband. Notice it says he meant to divorce her. Being betrothed was like being married just without the wedding night, the consummation. So in that culture, it's like, you, it's done deal. So if you are with another man during that time, the law of Moses says, death penalty. And there's this little girl, 16 years old. And you know what she says to God? She gets on her knees and she says, let it be unto me as you have said. I will take the hit. Man, that's fantastic. 
Where does that come from? Joseph himself. Let's read. How about Joseph's story? Mary had been betrothed to him. Before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, he's a good guy, he planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, saying, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who's, uh, who's been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph awoke from his sleep, and he did as the angel of the Lord told him, Uh, commanded him, and he took Mary as his wife. And she she gave birth to a son, and she called his name Jesus. You see, this is a very sticky problem, a very sticky problem. And God shows up, and he's in this mess. He's in this mess. And Joseph, what's interesting about Joseph is that, you know, he's this righteous man. He's a righteous man. So he, he makes a little righteous sort of insurance policy, if you will, better than Ahaz. But he's like, all right, a man, this is what a man does when he gets bad news. Right? Maybe he'll think about it for a bit, but then he, you know, locks into like Cro-Magnum, you know, caveman mode. He's like, all right, you know, blaze ahead. And Joseph made a plan. He was a man with a plan. It was a good plan. He's righteous. He's a good guy. He wants to divorce her quietly. He doesn't want to see her stoned. He doesn't want to cause a scandal. He does the right thing. Look at this. I will also suggest that because he was a righteous man, what does it say before, before the angel came and talked to him? So you might, in your situation, you might say, well, I don't have any angels talking to me. Easy for Joseph. No, Joseph makes a good plan. And then what does he do? But when he had considered this, he made the plan, and then this word is only used twice in the New Testament. It's used by Matthew alone. It's a word that means to think through very carefully, to like stop and just like get get your focus. Stop and consider. When bad news comes in our lives, brothers and sisters in Christ, yes, we need to act, we need to make a plan, I hope that we will also stop and consider. Let me just listen. How often do we get to listen? Especially if it's Santa Claus, Christmas trees, presents, lights, and toys. Especially when this season is beautiful, yes, exhausting. I can tell you about my mama. Like from December, from like 9 p.m. December 25 to like January 2nd, my mom is like off the radar. You know, she's resting. She's trying to recover. She's trying to recover. So what I'm saying is, is we don't need to be exhausted, right? Whatever's going on in our lives, we can stop and consider. Because Joseph was a righteous man, this is what he did. He made a plan, then he stopped and consider, stopped to consider, and then we know what happened. An angel of the Lord said, hey, look, he got what he needed. He got the revelation. He said, hey, I'm going to take the hit. But when he waited and he considered Yes, this is what's going on. Is there a design? Is there a design to the mess in your life? I'm saying God is in the mess. Massive problems, intimate problems. And I'm suggesting that God is in complete control 
over those problems. Either he's God of all or he's not God at all. So is he God or is he not? If he is, he knows. He understands. And I think it's helpful for us to stop and to consider. So God tells Joseph and he tells Ahaz, there's a story going on here. There's a story going on here. There's a, there's a deeper thing happening. God is in this mess of massive problems and personal problems, but ultimately I have the great confidence and ability to say God is in the mess to set things to rights. That's what Jesus' advent is all about. Jesus' advent is about God dealing with the source of the mess, the source. God handles problems in order. And we're tempted to think when there's a mess going on in our lives, what did I do wrong? Who's doing this to me? What's the problem? Does God hate me? Or, like many, there is no God. I spit upon your God because of the mess. That is a deep, profound, and difficult question that I'll try to address. I don't know if I can answer it full stop, but I can try to address it. But Jesus' advent is about God dealing with the source of the mess. I remember when I was... uh, 1718, and I grew up in a Christian home, and I remember my commitment, my understanding, my faith was very, very elementary. I don't even know if it was real. I don't even know, because I had no interest in God, and, 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 and I was just trying to fill my life with busyness and trying to be a tough guy and trying to be like a hard drinker and a four-by-four driver and a motorcycle guy and a ladies' man and all these things I'm trying to do as a young man. And I remember distinctly, I knew the right thing. My parents taught me, you know, Christianity. And I knew the right thing, but slowly but surely, my faith was waning like the setting sun so that I could go into the darkness and do dark deeds. And I do remember these, like, checkpoints. Anybody following me? Like, there's these checkpoints where it's like, I know I'm stepping over here, but I don't, get a, I don't give an F. That was me when I was 17. And by the grace of mercy of God, I don't know, but I I mean, I did not go splat like I could have and like others have. Somehow I managed this charade and God reached into my life and did a marvelous work of grace. And that's a whole other story. But what I'm saying is, is this messiness of our lives can just increase if we don't stop and consider, if we don't realize that God has a bigger story going on in our lives. And so this child who is to be conceived uh, in Mary is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. You know what Jesus, you know what that word means? It's a Greek sort of carryover, a Greek version of Joshua. And Joshua means in Hebrew, God is salvation. Salvation from what? From our sins. That's the purpose. God will save us from our sins. 
And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through Isaiah the prophet. Joseph got the story. He understood there's a story going on here. This is one who will come to save people from sins. God is in the mess of massive problems, yes. Intimate problems, yes. And Jesus' first advent, his coming, we celebrate the salvation of that coming because he came to die on the cross for forgiveness and to die on the cross for sins. But you might say to me, Nathan, this sounds like pie in the sky. You go to the next slide, please. Got to handle these questions briefly. I've got to deal with them because these are real questions. Is God for me or against me? You know, if you were to read on in Isaiah, go to chapter 8, verse 11, 12, 13, right in there. It says, hey, Ahaz, hey, Isaiah, God talks to Isaiah himself and says, God is either a sanctuary or a stumbling stone. He's either the most precious presence in your life or he's an object to trip over, to strike your foot against and like, bam, I fell down so that he will become the most precious presence in your life. Is God for me or against me? For your salvation, for you. To you, for you to know him as God, to save you from your sins, he's for you. Anybody who watches Judge Judy knows about tough love. The best thing for some of these liars and cowards is for them to get nailed with the book. Sorry, you're paying. The faster you hit the bottom, the sooner you can come on up. Is God for me against, or against me? To stand on your own two legs, against you. He's against you. To cheat your partner out of money, he's against you. To sin against your wife and children, against you. To put that silly four by four in front of him, some silly object that someone made, like that's my number one thing. I spent all my time and money making this thing look awesome. That was me in high school. He's against me. I don't think he's against four by fours per se. Because, hey, when I was in, I ended up with a four by four later in my life and it was awesome. But God had dealt with a massive, you know, massive amount of junk in my life, a, a huge mess, and I hit bottom. Hey, Nathan, what you say is nice, but how do I know? I mean, how do I really, I just don't feel that God is with me. I don't know it. I don't feel it. How do I do that? Well, the Bible I mean, how often are we in that word? That's one question. His very word to us? I submit, you devour that word, you will have a sense that God is guiding you. How about the sacrament, what we saw this morning? I thought that was pretty darn special. That, that was really neat. I'll never forget that. Thank you. That's wonderful. How about in the, in the heart of a, my wife who loves Christ and loves me because she loves Christ? And how about the, the tender hug? Like, Nathan, I, I love you. You know, even though you're hurting, I, I love you. Can I make you a meal? You see, it seems that God gets all the blame but none of the credit. It's like, you know, like your cat. It's a little random. Stay with me. <laughs> the cat says, wow, they feed me. They give me water. Um, I must be God. Right? 
They pet me. I must be God. The dog says, wow, he feeds me, gives me water. He must be God. See the difference? What does the God of the universe owe you? What does he owe us? You have, and I believe, brothers, that there's enough grace in every day of our lives we can be thankful for. That's why we celebrated that this week, right? I mean, there's enough grace and goodness in our lives. Could it be that God is saying, this is what I'm like when I give you a phenomenal sunset or a hike or, or, or the love between a father and his son? I mean, I love that. I just, I love that. I, it's, could this be what God is like when, I, when the spring comes forth and the flowers burst from the earth? I mean, is that some random chance? Is that an accident? Gosh, that can't be. That, that tells me what God is like. So, so there are ways to know that God is with us. Could it be that he's calling me, that he's beckoning me, that he's put these good things in my life to say, hey, this is what I'm like, and I will never stop pursuing you. Never. Some, reason, some people want Jesus to come back, like, right away. Like, why hasn't he come back? What a cruel God. He's not coming back because he's gracious. He's not coming back right now because he's, he's giving us time. He gives everybody, more or less, a good chunk of time to consider this question. Where am I going? What does it mean? What's on the other side of death? God is good. The very breath we breathe, the life we live, is from him. He is with us. And finally, this question. This is a massive question that I am not going to solve with the snap of my fingers for two minutes on a Sunday morning. This is a massive question. There can be no God because of the mess. There can be no God because of the suffering. To that, I say this. It's all I can say. Trust his character. Consider Christ one who became flesh and dwelt among us. Isaiah will go on to say he was bruised for our transgressions. By his wounds, we are healed. Is this a God somehow coldly manipulating reality and putting all these mean obstacles in our way? Is he some angry old man wanting us to get, us, get it right? No, he was a poor, homeless at times preacher who died for sinners and he says to his enemies, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And he holds those hands out to you today. That's his character, not a God, who, a God who suffered ahead of us. So God enters the mess. That's his character. And finally, finally, look for his coming. Look for his coming. I mentioned that God deals with the problems in order. He deals with the problems in order. First is to deal with sin. That's where the problem started. And in Advent, the glory of this season is not only celebrating the salvation we have, but looking for him to set the mess to rights. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the, Lord of, the ho- of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Let's pray. God, we are waiting. We are looking. 
and thank you for the joy of this season, but let us not miss the blessing. God, let it be so that this Christmas we pay attention, we stop, we consider. Don't let this Christmas, God, go by with us being frivolous about frivolous things. Let us, God, cling to the gospel of Christ who saves sinners. Let us look for your coming again to deliver us from this mess and the mess of our lives. And even so, in those intimate, personal spaces where we need you, we need you to speak, we need you to direct, we need you to guide, would you show up in glory? Would you lead us to your word? Would you lead us to repentance? Would you help us? Would you help us, oh God, know you and follow you? I pray this in Christ's name.